table. Are we going to eat? Wow, what a privilege it is for us to be back at Lewis Memorial Baptist Church. Um, It's been a while since we've been here. When we were engaged in our work there in Virginia, we shared with you on a Sunday night uh, about that. But that's been several years ago now, I believe, Pastor. And um, um, we've changed a little bit, and you've changed a little bit. Uh, I'm glad Pastor let me know that most of the people that are here that I would recognize have decided to go gray. And so um, I'm glad you let me know because last night late, I stopped by Walmart and I got some gray hair dye so that I could cover up some of this brown. But um, you all look younger, okay? You look so much younger. But uh, it is a privilege for us to be with you this morning. Um, I can't Tom wouldn't allow me to stand here and tell you how much your pastor and his wife have meant to us over the years, just the way they've encouraged us in every facet of our ministry. We were privileged to to be here for a while, and then God sent us elsewhere and um, with their blessing, and they've constantly just been a a source of of encouragement and strength for us. And um, you would look long and hard to find a pastor and his wife like the Lemmings. Amen? And I'm so thankful um, for them. Yes, we can. Absolutely. Um, It's a privilege for for me uh, to be able to share God's word with you. Um, Before we do that, I just want to, got a couple slides I want to show you real quickly. Uh, Not really our purpose for being here necessarily today, but I do want to kind of let you know what's going on. Do I just say click or next or something? Uh, um, these are our four children. One of them surprised me today and is here with us. Our oldest daughter, Hannah, I won't make her stand up, but um, I'll pay for that later. But she um, surprised us today. Hannah is a nurse at Cabell, and she's also the children's director, director of children's ministries at a church in Westwood, um, Kentucky, not far from here. And so uh, she, we stole her away today, and she was able to be with us. So um, that's our oldest, Hannah. Um, our son there in the middle with the clean-shaven face. That's Ben. Ben was a baby when we uh, were here. I mean, literally a newborn baby when we were here um, years ago. But he is married uh, to his wife, Gwen. They live in Lynchburg, Virginia, both graduated from Liberty. And um, Gwen works there at the university. Ben did for a while, but um, he works for the health system now, um, doing something with insurance. Um, but we won't hold that against him. But anyway, um, Ben is uh, our son, and they live there in Lynchburg and uh, involved in a church there as well. Um, our baby, baby is over, not that baby, the other one. <laughs> um, that was a surprise. Um, our baby is on the far, far right. That's Grace. She is a junior at Moody College in Chicago, um, preparing for uh, missions ministry. Um, ministering to victims of human trafficking. Um, I told her to pick a safe occupation, and she chose otherwise, but, but we're proud of her. She's a, a junior there at Moody this year and excited about what God has in store for her. And then on their far left is our next to the oldest, Emily. Um, Emily and her husband are at Southeastern uh, Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. They did uh, some work with the International Mission Board, served overseas Joshua in India and Emily in Indonesia, uh, and then came back stateside and got married. And they gave us the best gift that we could have. Now you can turn the slide. Our first grandchild, Asher, he looks just like his papa. And um, 
But uh, he is nine months old and um, already doing so much. They grow so fast, especially when, when you don't see him very often. But uh, we're excited about what God has in store for the Hollies as well, Joshua, Emily, and Asher Holly. Uh, several years ago, uh, Pam and I were planting churches in Virginia. When we embarked on that endeavor, uh, we were intentional about making sure that missions was part of the DNA of our church. So we took our little 30-member church plant, uh, we took a third of those on an international missions trip, uh, kind of crazy, and um, really didn't know what we were doing, but we got uh, to view a work with a local church in the mountains of Jamaica. We've never been to the resorts in Jamaica. They look nice from the air, but uh, we've never been there. But uh, we spend time ministering there for several years and have taken teams back. Um, that's how Go Global was kind of birthed out of that experience. God laid it on our heart to develop an organization uh, that would give uh, those from the states um, an exposure, uh, uh, you know, hands-on exposure to uh, foreign missions. And so we started Go Global Missions, and what we uh, began doing was taking teams down uh, to Jamaica, to rural Jamaica in particular, and working alongside the local church there. We believe in the auspices of the local church. We believe that's God's plan to spread the gospel. Uh, this is why we are here today, celebrating missions, amen? Um, and so um, we work alongside a lo local church there, have now for about 14, 15 years. Uh, Jamaica, as you know, is in the West Indies. And so um, God has just used us in incredible ways. And we're so privileged and honored to be a part of that work there in the local church. We come alongside them uh, and we uh, do things like Vacation Bible School. I've got some slides there. We can just flip through those if you want. Um, this is Jamaica. It, as you see, it's a beautiful place. This is Clayground Tabernacle where we serve. Um, and Pastor Henry and his wife are just wonderful, godly people. But we've been there serving since actually 2011. Eight, I guess. That's an old slide, but not as old. Uh, Vacation Bible School is one of the things we do there. And this little auditorium is their church auditorium. And we, God packs that place out. I think one time we went with, we were between churches, had moved to Ohio to plant. And um, so it was just our family. How God did this, I don't know, but we typically had a rather large team. And so it was just the six of us. That year for Vacation Bible School, we had 400 children and they literally were sticking their heads in, hanging out the windows in and out of the windows and but it was a blessed time most of it but um we uh we enjoy uh serving alongside the church there and uh, using this as an outreach in that very impoverished community uh there's a need for uh food which we realize later on and so we have a, a ministry there where we distribute food and clothing and minister to the physical needs of the people there in the community uh, along with the help of the local church I don't even remember what the rest of the slides are, but we can just flip. Yeah, there's some of the little ones. Um, street ministry is also something that we do um, there in Jamaica um, and have for a long time. And it's, a, it's sad, but it uh, encourages our hearts to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, several years ago, we also began working in um, West Africa, Sierra Leone in particular, and um, back 10 hours from Freetown, which is the large city there in Sierra Leone, the capital city, a 10-hour Jeep ride back to a little hospital. We do medical missions there, um, as well as um, there's a prison ministry that we've begun uh, to be involved in. Um, there we work in a little, we call it a clinic, they call it a hospital, but um, 
one and the same. And, and God's allowed us to, to work there in the prison ministry. And we're developing discipleship material for those prisoners that have received Christ. And so we're privileged to be a part of that as well. Um, and this is um, an interesting story, which I wish I had time to relay to you completely. But this past, or this chief rather, is also a, uh, not only the chief of Moyamba, which is where we work and do prison ministry, but he's also the chief of a council of chiefs. And so he's a born-again believer. And when we went there and began to explore how we could minister through the church in that community, he told us, look, I, I know Christ, you have complete freedom to preach the gospel here in, the, in our prison, in our schools, in our hospital, in our, our uh, community, and any of the other villages that I oversee, um, you have free reign to preach the gospel there as well. What a God thing, amen? And so we are so thankful for that. We've established a reading room. Uh, this, the government of Sierra Leone, and I want to move along quickly here, the government of Sierra Leone um, has mandated that English be a required language uh, for those there in uh, West Africa. And so we developed a reading room and we have books there where kids can come in and read books uh, just to kind of get familiar with the English language. But because he's a believer, we've also put children's adventure Bibles and Christian literature in those reading rooms. And so they're not only learning English, but they're learning that there's a God who loves them and died for them and wants to save them. And so what an opportunity. We are so thankful for what God is doing through Go Global. We have a Booth set up in the back. Feel free to stop by. We would love to take your name and number and get you on our email list and all those housekeeping things that my wife is so good at I'm not, okay? Uh, but we would, we would love to, to meet with you and talk with you um, and answer any questions you might have. Hey, let me do something a little bit different this morning. If you have your Bibles or, or if you use a phone or, or whatever, uh, let me ask you to take them and turn to the first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 1, I want to talk to you about the nuts and bolts of missions, what missions is really all about, and that is the gospel, amen? Missions is, is our endeavor to do what God, through his son Jesus, mandated to us there in Acts chapter 1. You should be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the othermost parts of the earth. So the gospel is our mission, and if it's our mission, I feel like probably we need to get it right. R.C. Sproul wrote a, a book years ago called Getting the Gospel Right. Uh, we need to know what we're talking about. And so I want to take a few moments out of Romans chapter 1, and I want to share with you why the gospel was so important to the Apostle Paul. But then, um, if you'll allow me to, I want to take you on over in the New Testament, and I'll share that passage with you in a moment. And I want to again give you a, a snapshot of a church that got it right, a church on mission, right out of the New Testament, uh, written by the same apostle. Um, but I, I want to kind of first, first go here to Romans chapter 1 and look at what the gospel really meant to the apostle Paul and what it should mean to us and why it's so important. And then by example, look at a church that was doing missions and the gospel right. Several years ago, Pam and I um, were on a plane, and I made an observation. Uh, we're going overseas somewhere. I made an observation that I hadn't really noticed before. You know, the, the um, flight attendants are required to do a pre-flight check with you. And, you know, they, they tell you about the, the exit doors and the flotation devices and the oxygen that drops down should there be a sudden loss in oxygen, you know, in pressure in the, in the cabin. All of those things. And as they were going through their, their pre-flight instructions, 
pretty important information. I looked around and I saw people paying no attention whatsoever. Uh, some were talking, some were laughing, some were on their phones, uh, doing that last minute check of text or emails. Um, and, uh, you know, fiddling with their luggage. Some were getting ready, you know, settling in to take a nap. And people were so distracted that they weren't listening to the information that could prove vital and life-saving should an incident occur, amen? You would want to know where the exit doors are, where your flotation device was, how you can get oxygen if you need it, but they were paying no attention whatsoever. And as I made that observation, I thought to myself, you know, sadly, I'm here to tell you this morning that often the church's response to the gospel is just like that. You know, it's communicated, and, and I, I know I can speak with confidence from this pulpit, it's communicated on a regular basis. We talk about it amongst ourselves. We make plans to, to embark upon getting the word out. Um, but oftentimes we're so distracted that we miss what really matters. And we wonder why our churches are in the shape they're in. Amen? May we get the gospel right. I want to read for you some verses out of Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, if we could. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul wastes no time in, in letting them know his agenda. Uh, his itinerary was... Uh, that, that he was going to um, take advantage of this opportunity having been set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God, talking about Jesus, in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, all part of the gospel story, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. To all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to thank God for the Christians that are at Rome but he makes no apology in his intention. If you would go down with me uh, to verse 15, I believe is where we want to go. Verse 15, uh, Paul says some, some things. And in verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager Here's Paul's ministry in a nutshell. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, listen, I make no apologies. My agenda, my intended purpose is to come to you as I have elsewhere and preach to you the only message that matters. It's the message of the gospel. Now we could go through this verse and, and I... Got to be honest, I intended to do that a little bit, but, but I don't want to spend a lot of time here because I want to get you on over into the New Testament and let you see an example of a church that had gotten it right. 
But you see, Paul, we see in this verse, verse 16 in particular, Paul had a passion for the gospel that came from personal experience. Paul had received the gospel. He says that earlier in the text. This is the gospel that I've received and I've been set apart to declare. And he was passionate about what he had received himself. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I declare unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and arose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Isn't that the message of the gospel? Amen. Why was Paul so passionate about the gospel? Passion comes from personal experience. Paul says, I am not ashamed because I've received it. And my job is to commend it or declare it to you. So there was a passion for the gospel that came from personal experience. Paul understood that the purpose of the gospel was to declare Christ. And I'm moving quickly here, but this verse says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not just a gospel, because you know the word gospel in the original language means simply good news. But Paul puts, puts hooks on that and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus. That's the purpose of the gospel, amen? You realize this morning, and I'm sure you do, that our job as a church is not to invite people to the church. Our job is to invite people to a personal encounter with Jesus. Because I want to tell you something, although we'd like to think so, a church has never changed anyone. Amen? A pastor has never changed anyone. Only Jesus and what he did on the cross can make a lasting eternal difference in the heart of a sinful person. So our job is to declare unashamedly, like Paul did, the gospel. That's his purpose. We see also the power behind the gospel. The power of the gospel lies in its source. It is the gospel of God. The story was written by God, um, and Jesus was sent by the Father, we know according to the scripture, to pay the price for our sins and thus write to completion the gospel story. The power of the gospel lies in a source. But then we see the proof of the gospel rests in its undeniable results. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Hey, listen, you want a church program that yields results? Preach the gospel. You want to see a program that has stood the test of time? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel ought to be central to everything that we say and do as a church. So often, we miss it and we get distracted. And so my question to you this morning is this. When it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission, taking seriously the work of getting the gospel out, are we on target? Are we on target? Is the work of the gospel of the, at the heart of all that we do? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning that I believe serves as a clear example of a church that got it right. Paul ex, uh, explains for us the importance of the gospel message. Now let's get an example of the gospel being done right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, if you'll turn over there with me uh, for just a few moments. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
If you know anything about the background of the letter to the Thessalonican church, the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey uh, endeavors to go into churches and areas down lower in modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 16, says that prevents him from doing so on three occasions. And then he receives the Macedonian call, the guy in his dream at night that says, come over and help us. And so Paul and his fellow missionaries embark um, into taking the gospel into what we know as Europe. Um, in particular into Macedonia. And from Macedonia, where the Philippian church was established there on the riverbank, they travel down southwestward, and they come to a little city called Thessalonica. And they, they share the gospel there, as they always did, spending some time. And, and within a three-week period, uh, a church was given birth, uh, and Paul moves on. Uh, being ran out of town and then going to another town and being run out of that town. And he goes on to Corinth and he sends Timothy and the fellow missionaries back to give a report of the Thessalonican Christians. And they're struggling. They're enduring persecution. And Paul writes a letter of encouragement to them. And the first thing that he says to them, among many other things about, you know, you know hope in the, in the resurrection and the return of Christ, Paul says, listen, don't lose heart because the gospel makes a difference. The gospel makes it stay on target. Here in chapter 1, Paul writes these words. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonica. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God for you always, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And then we skip down to verse 5, if you will, of this passage. And Paul says this uh, in verse 5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop right there for just a moment because I want to draw out some points here that, that I think are important to see about this church and what they were doing right. The truth, first of all, we see that the truth of the gospel is what bound them together. Paul says here in verse 5, it is our gospel. Now, we can take that one of two ways, and he probably meant a little of both. Paul is talking about the gospel that he and his fellow missionaries came and shared with the Thessalonican people. But then it becomes theirs as well. Now we have this gospel in common. And they came to understand through the ministry of the Apostle Paul and his fellow missionaries that the truth of the gospel was what really bound them together. You know, that ought to be said for a church that's on target today. Amen? Listen, we save ourselves a lot of headache and heartache if we'll focus on what really matters, and that's the gospel. Paul described that gospel in Romans chapter 1, and as I said earlier, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. But I want to tell you this morning that we could leave this beautiful building and God has been so good uh, to you here and, and we are so thankful for that. We could leave this beautiful building and I could take you to a little village in the Andes Mountains in a little town called Shivai. We were there and took a missions team several years ago. Actually, we were there with Aaron and Debbie Carr uh, on two occasions, but we took a small missions team there and the pastor from the local church came after the sun went down. And Shavai is one of these places where I think God put the heat and the lights on the same switch. Because when the sun goes down, what has been a, a blistering hot day turns into a very cold night. And so the pastor came and he led our mission team down the road to the little church 
just a garage that they had been given, dirt floor, probably about 25 by 20 at, at best in size, uh, benches with no backs, one light bulb over the pulpit area, just one. But when service time came, they began to come from everywhere. And the worship was unbelievable. But one by one, the pastor had shared in this little village the message of the gospel. And a church had came into being. But they weren't there because of their, all the bells and whistles. They didn't have this. They were there because they had in common the gospel. I hope you're here this morning and your unity, the source of your unity is not that you all dress the same or you think the same or you're from the same backgrounds or the same socioeconomic status. I trust that what binds you together as a church is the message of the gospel. That's what we have in common. But sadly, that's where we miss it. We get so busy doing our own thing and, and, you know, promoting our own program that we forget that what really matters is that we introduce people to Jesus because Jesus can change people. Paul said, listen, the truth of the gospel is what binds you together. May that be said for this church and our churches as we endeavor to fulfill the Great Commission. You see, the church that is on mission is brought together because of the truth of the gospel. Something else that we see here in this passage, and that is this. We see that not only was the truth of the gospel what brought them together, but a tenacity for the gospel is what made them stronger. Paul says, listen, you received the gospel and you, you embrace that under heavy persecution amidst difficulty and conflict. And if you go back up um, to verse 3, you'll see what the Apostle Paul says. He says, he uses the word there, steadfastness. And that means a, a stick to it in this, or as we said in our, our outline, a tenacity. It's the Greek word that means consistency, enduring hopeful patience. In other words, when the waters got rough and the road got long, they refused to give up. They stayed on task. They were faithful to the gospel. You see, for a church that is on target, we need to understand that the truth of the gospel is what binds us together. So that when all else fails and opinions differ, we have in common what really matters. We share Jesus. And we ought to, because of that, share Jesus. Amen? When you look at the church in the book of Acts and how it began to grow, uh, Rick Warren and people like that weren't around then. You know, the purpose-driven life and church and all those books hadn't been written yet. But what Acts says is that they continued daily in, in prayers and breaking of bread and, and the things that, that were important to the church there. And he goes on to say this, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The gospel went out and was received and the church grew automatically, automatically. So a tenacity for the gospel, Paul says here, is what will build us up. Uh, the truth of the gospel is what brings us together. A tenacity for the gospel makes us stronger or builds us up. It uh, gives us some staying power and how we need that. How often uh, is it that the enemy throws a curve in our way as individuals or as a church? Listen, 
I got problems, you got problems, all God's children got problems, amen? No perfect church unless it's empty, right? Because I tell you, the, the minute I step inside, it ceases to be perfect. But the fact of the matter is this. This gospel message gives us staying power. It gives us a reason for existence because it is the reason we exist. That's why we can never ever, we were in a church, uh, uh, we remain nameless, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, things began to get a little bit tight in our restart there in Northwest Ohio. Things began to get a little bit tight and we're trying to shave the budget, which was almost non-existent anyway. And, and somebody picked up the phone one day and called me and said, Pastor Mike, I got an idea. I think I know how we can kind of get ourselves out of this financial hardship with COVID and all of those things. Um, I think we need to scale back on our missions giving. And I said, not while I'm the pastor. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Because our job as the church is to proclaim the message of Christ, is it not? I mean, listen, nothing's wrong with, all, you know, all of the, all of the lights and the, and the programs and the music and all of the things. And by the way, your music was just awesome this morning. Thank you so much, praise team. Um, but nothing's wrong with all of those things. But they can never supersede the importance of the gospel message going out. That's why the church exists to proclaim the gospel. A tenacity for the gospel builds us up. And then we see also in this passage in 1 Thessalonians that the transformation brought by the gospel had set them apart. Notice what Paul says here to these Thessalonican Christians. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And now you've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In other words, there's a transformation that sets you apart. You're noticed. The life change has been observed. Can we say that about our churches? When people come through our doors that have never been here before, do they notice a difference that the gospel has made in our lives? Is there a transformation that they can observe? How vital it is that we not only talk about the gospel, but we live out the gospel each and every day in every area of our lives, at school, at home, in the neighborhood, yes, at church, in the city, on the streets, in front of our friends and neighbors and and people maybe we don't even know. Our lives ought to be a living testimony of the change that takes place when the gospel is received. That's what the Thessalonican Christians enjoyed. A testimony that was right because a transformation had taken place. You see, a church that's on target needs to understand that it's the truth that has bound them together. It's the tenacity for the gospel that has built them up. It's a transformation brought by the gospel that um, sets them apart. But lastly, and mission specific this morning, what the Apostle Paul wanted to remind them of is this. The task of the gospel has sent you out. The truth of the gospel binds you together. You have that in common. A tenacity for the gospel builds you up, gives you staying power so that you don't Lay down the torch. 
And as we said, the transformation brought by the gospel sets you apart, gives you an audience or a venue. But it's the task of the gospel that sent them out. Paul said this, and I'll read the same verse again. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you into Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth. What's the next word in your Bible? Everywhere. Everywhere. That seems to fulfill the Acts 1 challenge, does it not? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Their task was clear. The task is what sent them out. What task? The task of proclaiming the gospel. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I realize not everyone is called to pastoral ministry or church planning ministry or vocational missions ministry. But listen, whether your role is to pray or to give or to send or to go, all of us have a part to play, amen, in the great commission. It is not the great request. It is a command given to every believer. If you, like the Apostle Paul, have received the gospel for yourselves, as Henry Blackaby said, the gospel was always intended to be personal, never intended to be private. You know, I just wonder, we talked earlier about the passion that Paul had for the gospel. And I've heard this said, and I'm sure Pastor Mary have heard it said too. Some of you are involved in discipleship and those kind of things. Um, assimilation. I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, Pastor, we, you know, I, I, I'm just not, I'm not, it's not my cup of tea. You know, I'm, it's out of my comfort zone. You know, and what I've found to be true most of the time is what we're excited about is what we talk about. Amen. Hey, listen, you saw a picture of my grandbaby. I won't ask you to go back there. I mean, you can if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, I saw a picture of my grandbaby and man, I love talking about him. Somebody asked me, you got any pictures in my phone? Just, you know, I pick up my phone. How have I got pictures? After picture, after picture. I, I love my kids and, and I'm so thankful one of them is here today. And I love talking about what God is doing in their lives and using them to do in the lives of others. I love my righteous fox, my wife. Uh, I love her with all my heart. And I can't say enough about her uh, that's positive and encouraging because she has been such a blessing to me. I'm passionate about those things. And so I communicate those every chance I get. If we're passionate about the gospel... We ought to be clear that that task, no matter what role we play, is a command that's given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ought to be faithful. I don't know what your role in the gospel is this morning, but I see here a church that got it right. Under persecution, maybe not COVID, but under persecution just the same, laying their lives and their occupations and their reputations on the line for having accepted Christ and embraced the gospel that Paul proclaimed. And they chose never to quit because they understood that the task of the gospel was sending them out. How comfortable do we often get in our pews with all of our stuff? Amen? You know, I often wonder... If the time came, and as it has in many parts of the world, it will come, when we no longer can meet in this beautiful building, we no longer can enjoy weekly open public preaching and all of those things that we consider to be church, will the church continue? Well, Jesus said the true church will, because the gates of hell won't prevail against it. 
But what about the church, including us, that's been given the task of sending forth the gospel? Will the gospel stop because the church no longer meets in a building? Because if you know anything about the history of Christianity, the church up until over, you know, past 300 AD didn't really meet regularly in an established place. They met in homes and, and in the streets and all those things, and they did the work of the gospel. That was the case here in Thessalonica. I don't know if they were meeting in a garage or an apartment or somebody's house or, or what, or whether they just did church day to day. Not a bad idea. Um, but they were getting the gospel out because they understood that was their job. Story is told as we close of a little lady in Africa who years ago came to faith in Christ. She'd been blind from birth, and so because she was blind, she was illiterate. Uh, of course, could not read or write and uh, unable to see. But the missionary that was there lovingly shared with her over and over again the gospel. And she one day opened her heart and received Christ. And she came up to him at the close of his service with a rather strange request. And she said, Pastor, got a question. Do you happen to have a Bible in French? And he thought for a moment. He said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. I'll go get it for you. And she said, I'd like to have it. And he said, well, I'll give it to you. And so he gave it to her. And he was scratching his head. She couldn't see that, but he was scratching his head. And, and, um, and she said, do me one favor before I leave. You know that verse you share with me out of John three sixteen that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yes, ma'am, I remember that verse. Would you do me a favor, pastor? Open the Bible to John three sixteen and highlight it and underline it and circle it for me. And he did so, and she went on her way. And curiosity got the best of him. And so one day he followed this lady to the gates of a local schoolyard at the edge of town. Someone helped her to the opening of the gate. And as the school children began to come out, mostly middle school and, and younger high school age, she would pose this question. Excuse me, can you read French? And they would answer, most of them would answer yes because they were learning that in school. And she said, well, do me a favor. I've got a book here. I want, to op I want you to open it to where I tell you, and I want you to read the words that, that are circled and highlighted. And they would open that French Bible, and they would read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And she would say, Do you know what that means? Years later, she went home to be with the Lord. And at her funeral in the church there in that little village were hundreds of people giving testimony to her faith in Christ. And among those were over 20 full-time missionaries and pastors that had been personally led to saving faith in Christ because one blind lady asked them to read a verse from a Bible that she had never seen. She understood that despite her frailties, she had a job to do. There was a task even for her. None of us are given a pass if we're believers. The gospel is the task that sends us out. And so as we talk about missions over this past week and, and again today and tonight, may I remind you that it's the truth that should bind this church together in order to be on target for the gospel. 
And there is a tenacity, a, a steadfastness that comes when you get that right. And when the waves come and go and the storms of life beat against this church, you have staying power because of the gospel. Even under affliction, as we see here in Thessalonica. So it's that truth and tenacity, um, but also there is a transformation that needs to take place in our lives so that we have opportunity to tell what God has done for us, which brings us to the task that sends us out. No matter your role, maybe it's to give money. Maybe it's to send someone as this church has done over the years. Maybe it's to go personally. Whatever God calls you to do, may we stay on target with what really matters. The gospel really matters.